we as a company, we want uh, to be the, the entry point for data for all data-driven applications. That, that's a big statement. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Great Things with Great Tech, the podcast highlighting companies doing great things with great technology. My name's Anthony Spiteri and in this episode we're exploring the exciting world of open source data orchestration for analytics and AI in the cloud with a company that's revolutionizing the way data-driven applications and storage systems interact and process data at unprecedented speeds. What started out as data acceleration is now touted as a high-performance data access layer. That company is Alexia, and I'm delighted to be speaking with Director of Product Management, Audit Madan. And welcome to the show, Audit. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Hey, great to have you on. Just before we get into Alexia, if you love great things with great tech and would like to feature in future episodes, you can click on the link on the show notes or go to gtwgt.com and register your interest. Just as a reminder, all episodes of GTWGT are available on all good podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, obviously all hosted and distributed by Spotify Podcasts. And as a final reminder, on YouTube, head to GTWGT Podcasts, hit that, that subscribe button and the like button so you get all past and future episodes. So with that, Adet, let's talk about Alexio and, you know, give us a little bit of a background about the company's founding to start with. And then I'm really interested as to, you know, how you got to be, you know, where you are in the company. Cool. Uh, yeah. So uh, Alexio started from UC Berkeley's AMP Lab. So University of California, Berkeley uh, has a lab called AMP Lab, which also gave birth to uh, other prominent projects at the time. Uh, so there was the Spark project, which as you all know, is the, is the company that is the project behind Databricks. And that's where the founders for Databricks come from. Oh, okay, cool. So they, so they were responsible for building the compute side of things. Uh, and there was another company which came out of the same lab, which is called, which was Mesos and Mesosphere, which rebranded itself as DCOS. So those wow. guys were responsible for what they call resource management on once you have a cluster of large nodes and you're computing using frameworks like Spark, uh, how do I task things out and distribute it to, to a cluster? And we, we were the third major project uh, to come out of the same lab. And we chose uh, to take a, a different direction uh, then, then, then other than just building uh, another compute framework and rather than building just another storage uh, framework, we decided uh, to build something which sits between computation and storage. Okay, and that's interesting. And those are two, you know, pretty big sort of companies and names in, in out of, you know, in, in the IT industry. So you're in some pretty rare air there in terms of the, the project at Berkeley. And you've got two co-founders. Just what are their names and what was their background? Yeah, so so we uh, our co-founders are uh, Haoyan Lee, HY as we call him. Uh, he's uh, he is uh, he was part of the AMP Lab at Berkeley. So he is uh, he he worked uh, closely with uh, Professor Ian Stoika and Professor Scott Shanker. As you know, Ian Stoika is on the board uh, of Ray as well as Databricks. Uh, so he worked closely with uh, a lot of uh, prominent names in, in the industry. And he started off uh, 
the project as part of his PhD thesis. So Aluxia was actually named Tachyon back then. Uh, this was Tachyon, back in yeah. 2014 uh, when the project started. And we called it uh, a memory speed virtual distributed file system at the time. So, so distributed okay. virtual distributed file system is kind of the, the technical name uh, of the yeah. project. So this, this started back back in, in, in 2014. Uh, our other co-founder is uh, Amelia Wong, uh, who uh, who also comes from from Berkeley. That's really interesting, and I think tacky on the name. I think for memory, not not to sort of pardon the pun there, but I think I I do actually remember that as as a name because I've working in infrastructure back then, working on hosting platforms, I was really interested myself in utilizing memory for quicker you know disk access and. Um, a company called, I don't know if you remember, Pernix Data. Um, yes, Pernix I Data do. basically mm -hmm. did the same, did a similar sort of situation, but they, they used memory and flash disk to, to be able to accelerate mm -hmm. data before. And it was, is it sort of the same idea as that or was, was it something slightly different or where did Pernix and Tachyon sit next to each other? I'm just out interested in that. Yeah, so uh, Tachyon as, as uh... So Tachyon itself has an interesting story. This is a little bit of a di digression, but since we're on Tachyon. No, Tachyon, we, love, we love digressions, yeah, sure. <laughs> so, so Tachyon was our initial name, as you know. Uh, it, uh, so we actually ran into trademark issues with the name Tachyon. That's why we rebranded into Aluxia. And Aluxia okay. is not, not a real word. It, it's a made-up word. And the reason we chose that is because uh, we we wanted to avoid all trademark issues. So we we thought about Aluxio as all users need IO and all UX IO is what Aluxio is. Hey, that's pretty good. That's one of the better ones that I've heard out of sixty eight episodes. That one is is a good story in terms of you know why a name is a name. So that's that's pretty cool because sometimes, well, in, in that fact, it's not really that made up, is it? It's actually you know, pretty much explains what the company does from that point of mm -hmm. view. So not too bad from that point of view. Um, so in terms of where the company started to where it is now, what was the problem statement that I guess the, the project, the company, the technology was trying to address in the early days to start with? Yeah, so so when we started the company, we were really closely tied to the Spark project. We were actually the default uh, data layer for Spark, uh, and a lot of the Spark internal processes went through the Luxio file system at the time. So Luxio's goal when it began was actually to accelerate and speed up uh, Spark computation jobs, and Luxio came uh, in as a flag as part of the Spark distribution itself. So you could just say something like turn on Tachyon and, and you would have uh, the, the, the system that we have running as part of Spark. And uh, since then, the, the company has evolved a lot uh, to, to really cater to uh, not just Spark, but the larger ecosystem that we have out there. One, one of the major bets that we took as a company was that the data ecosystem is, is going to be extremely diverse. So uh, our prediction is that every three to five years, there's going to be a new uh, compute framework and a new storage technology, which is going to come in and, and disrupt uh, the industry. So, so that's why we uh, position ourselves as something which sits between computation and storage and is agnostic to compute as uh, the compute changes on top. Yeah, so maybe just explain a little bit about you know, technically what 
the, the platform is and what it does and how it does sit in between those those two, you know, the compute and storage layer that you've talked about. Because I think it's really interesting. Yeah. So 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 what we provide as a technology is uh, to to boil it down into simple uh, technical terms. It, it's extra. It's an extremely scalable distributed cache and it provides a, a universal endpoint for all of your data. So, so these the power the combination of these two things is is a really powerful concept, uh, which uh, allows uh, enterprises to to be agile with their with their platform. So, with with the cache, uh, what we get is, is that you have the flexibility of moving your computation. Uh, uh, to do anywhere. So if if you have a computation spread across multiple regions in in AWS, you are able to access your data from from silos uh, which uh, exist without Luxio. And with the universal endpoint, what you get is that you have access in the same manner to to data, no matter what the source is. So it could be coming from a storage system uh, uh, like a MinIO, it could be coming from Amazon, it could be coming from GTS. You have the same endpoint regardless of where the data is coming from. Okay, so I mean that's uh, that's like an heterogeneous data platform, right? Is is kind of how you'd explain it. Would is it a distributed file system as such in that way, or is it is it something a little bit different to that? Because I, I think of it when you talk about you know um, underlying different types of storage, being produced and um and sort of given as a single namespace i do think distributed file system is is that accurate to say that alexio is that uh i i would say that as soon as you add like like with the initial tagline that we used for the company was a, a virtual distributed file system so the 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 word virtual means uh that it's it's not a distributed file system but it pretends to be one so yeah. uh, even even if it's accessing uh, different kind of uh, file systems underneath, uh, so virtual uh, the file system I would switch it up in, into uh, these days as uh, people use the term uh, virtual data lake storage would be more accurate since it's okay. not just a file system it can pretend to be an object store as well. Uh, we've added multiple APIs since then, but virtual distributed data lake storage uh, would be a pretty uh, pretty, uh, pretty accurate uh, technical description for this. Yeah, okay, righto. So we're also in the early days, it was all about acceleration. You know, as you've, as you've kind of evolved as a company, it's really become about high-performance data access layer, which, mm -hmm. you know, when we think about today and we think about how much data is being put into not just traditional databases, you know, the no, no SQL databases, but data lakes as well and all the unstructured mm -hmm. data that's out there. Alexio exists to effectively create a layer that takes all of that and makes it, caches it and makes it easy, easily accessible, but also more accessible in a quicker way as well. Yes, it does. All right. And how does it, what's, what's the, without going into the, to the, to the, so the sort of specifics of it, how does it achieve a little bit of that? Yeah, so so we uh, we provide, uh, like I said, uh, a lot of times these days when we are talking about the world of uh, machine learning, and that's something that we've evolved into as a company since we started. Uh, like I was saying before, when we started the company, Aluxia was focused uh, primarily on uh, analytical workloads, and even with Spark, Spark SQL was uh, where we we had 
most of our early adopters. And since then, we had other frameworks like Trino and Presto and, and other SQL vendors uh, uh, being used alongside Aluxio. Uh, since then, uh, in the past uh, three, four years, especially uh, different kinds of machine learning frameworks and model training using the likes of, of PyTorch and TensorFlow has been a, a major uh, use case uh, for us. And uh, across all of these, uh, the, the generic thing is that all of the computation engines are uh, data hungry. And especially once you think about uh, the usage of GPUs these days uh, for, for model training and machine learning, these these frameworks are also extremely uh, extremely hungry, no matter where the data is coming from. Even if the data is coming from the same cloud, if it's coming across regions in the cloud or a hybrid cloud, uh, all these scenarios uh, demand uh, a hungry uh, computation engine. And, and that's the first uh, innovation that we have in Aluxio is that we provide this virtual abstraction for data, which sits close uh, to the hungry computation framework. So we, we use local resources like uh, NVMEs uh, beyond what we started off focusing on, which was memory. So we are able to tear across different media of storage, which is located close to the computation uh, to provide a lower latency and higher bandwidth of access to the computation uh, frameworks on top. Okay, so in terms of that memory speed IO, when you're using the, the memory that's close, you're using a combination of you know, random access memory, NVMe drives, SSDs, how, do, is there a is there a compute that's needed? So would would you need a bare metal server? Or would there be a like an EC two instance that would that would leverage the, the software as well to actually get access to leverage the compute component to present that data layer? Yeah, so, so there there are different modes of, of operation these days. The most common mode is that Aluxio is deployed on top of Kubernetes, so we would have okay. uh, pods configured for Aluxio. Uh, and the computation and Aluxio could reside on the same Kubernetes uh, cluster. That's the most typical mode these days. So we would carve out dedicated resources for Aluxio, the dedicated CPU and dedicated NVMe storage on the Kubernetes cluster itself, uh, which, uh, which would then be able to serve the different data-driven applications. Yeah, okay, so you've got the... The application, you've got Kubernetes, you've got all the containerization of that. That's handling the, the compute and the resources. Underneath that, when you talk about the heterogeneous aspect of it, how would that Kubernetes cluster then talk to maybe a, a blob storage here or an S3 bucket there or a, a, a bunch of disks there to basically aggregate that storage? Yes, so when, when we have the different uh, compute engines, let's say running in Kubernetes, we expose different APIs to them. And like we started off talking about, uh, we expose different uh, file or object APIs. So one of those APIs, for example, is the S3 API, which uh, Amazon's S3 API. We also support uh, a POSIX API for, for model training, especially these days, uh, we, in which we would expose ourselves as uh, as just a, a, a mount point in Kubernetes. So if, if you're familiar with the concept of a CSI driver, a container storage interface, yeah. uh, we, we provide plugins for Aluxio and it, Aluxio just pretend to be a local file system. And, and that's how uh, different kinds of applications interact with Aluxio. Uh, they ask Aluxio and Aluxio pretends 
uh, and transparently gets the data on demand from wherever it needs to be accessed from, whether it be a blob storage like you mentioned. All right. And then because of the caching, it kind of, it's doing some uh, predictive analytics or predictive understanding of what data is going to be fetched next. And therefore that's kind of what's elevated into cache from the underlying sort of slower storage, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's accurate. So, so we, we do have, uh, so we provide uh, a fine granularity uh, of uh, movement of data in this case. So, so depending on what is being accessed from, like you mentioned, blob store in, in the example, and the Luxio is exposing it uh, to applications on the Kubernetes cluster that we're talking about. We, we would move at a finer granularity, and we do also have a prefetching capability based on the data access pattern itself. Okay. So what's your typical customer like when customers come at you and say, hey, we've, we've, we've got a, a potential use case for a potential problem? What, what, what is that? So I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm asking when a customer comes to you, what are they talking about? And then how do you mm -hmm. respond to that with the solution? Yeah, so, so we, we have uh, a few different kinds of uh, solutions and use cases. Uh, I would say uh, the, the, these days, the most common one is uh, people come in uh, to us and say that uh, I'm trying uh, to leverage, I'm trying to kick off new uh, initiatives within my organization around uh, machine learning, uh, chat GPT is all the buzz. And it, it gathered a lot of, uh, it, it sparked the imagination in, in a lot of different companies. So. So uh, coming in with that, the next translating it into the next set of problems uh, that that come up is the first one that comes up is uh, I I can't find GPUs to train my jobs and to really get this initiative going. Uh, where do I find uh, GPUs? And it, even if they have GPUs, the next complaint becomes that my GPU hungry uh, uh, machines are not being fed uh, on on uh, properly so they it we come across customers even in in different clouds like amazon or azure who come into us and uh, to us and say that i'm not able to make the most out of the infrastructure that i have i'm only able to utilize my infrastructure uh, 20 to 30% uh, utilization instead of uh, uh, instead of fully utilizing the infrastructure that i have so th that's one set of problems that we come in with uh, other larger enterprises that we come in with is uh, folks who have uh, grown over time and, and they've accumulated silos of data. Uh, okay. So in, in which they might might have gone through uh, acquisitions over time and they have silos across the organization which could be spread across uh, different regions of the cloud and also on-premises infrastructure. Uh, how do I get the most out of it, both for analytical workloads, but also, also model training? Uh, across all of these. Uh, so these are kind of, and the other kind of situation which we traditionally came up uh, a few years back was uh, I'm running out of capacity uh, in my in my data center. Uh, so when a lot of folks, large enterprises, especially when they were operating um, majorly on-premises, they were trying to expand their capacity by either going to a hybrid cloud uh, or going to across multiple data centers. Okay, yeah, I get it. It makes sense. And you know, in terms of the, the size and scale of the deployments, what what do you see? I know that you've got some fairly large deployment covering kind of thousands of nodes. And in this case, is and when you talk about it in the context of Kubernetes, is a node a container or is a node a node that serves a bunch of containers? 
Uh, a node is a container. So when, when we talk about Kubernetes, typically we are co-located with other services on, on, on Kubernetes itself. So we may not have a dedicated node. Okay. So talk a little bit, we, we, you touched on it a couple of times, but this, the scarcity of, of GPUs at the moment, we understand that, you know, it's 2023 and, you know, LLMs and, and, and AI is, and ML is quite big this year, right? And if you only have to look at the NVIDIA stock price to see that GPUs are hot again, um, and this time it's not for Bitcoin, it's, it's for this, right? That, that NVIDIA kind of win either way. Um, this may be something to that, but it, how does Alexio kind of solve that problem of scarcity of the GPUs at the moment? Yeah, so, so if, if we look at the, the problem of scarcity of GPUs, uh, one of the things that's happening is it's forcing organizations to find GPUs uh, in in data centers or, uh, or availability zones in the cloud or even different clouds from where they originally were operating. So let's say you have all of your data in, in US West 1 uh, in in, in uh, in the Amazon region in US West one, but you may not find all of the GPUs that you need in that same region. So what it's forcing organizations to do is, uh, is to find uh, different regions, may maybe in the same cloud where you have GPUs available. Some of our customers are even leveraging GPUs that they have on premises. So uh, in their private data centers, uh, just because they want to use GPUs wherever they can. Uh, more, more GPUs means more data process. More data process means more accuracy, which has a direct impact on the business as well. The the other trend that we're seeing these days is even, even the smaller GPU clouds, uh, which are out there, uh, that's being a serious consideration because they also have a healthy uh, supply of GPUs given, given their size. It, it, it's almost... The, the case that smaller vendors have the same amount of GPUs, but uh, but fewer, uh, but less demand for it. So, so that's yeah. another uh, cost-effective initiate, uh, uh, cost-effective way of uh, large enterprising getting hands on GPUs these days. Yeah, and I've I've had a couple of um, bare metal um, companies on this show, right, talking about. The mm -hmm. fact is, why do they get into this bare metal space? It's really to offer an alternative to those hyperscalers, which people think are the only way to, to get a GPU these days. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of those people popping up. So you're right, whether the scare, and maybe that's also contributing to the scarcity that you're talking about, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, there's more than just on-prem, there's more than just a public cloud offering GPU services. There's actual now dedicate, because I think people have seen the business model that I think they can make money off. So they're trying to, you know, create these companies that are offering GPU-based bare metal hosting or whatever it might be. Um, so with that, talking about the AI part and the LLM, so I, I'm, ge I'm guessing that where Aloxio fits in is the fact that you're able just to aggregate the data. You've talked about the use cases. You've talked about the fact that you're at companies that are coming together through acquisition, different different initiatives within companies to, to get their data that they've been saving and growing for a number of years. How do they make that data work now? And how do they make that work with a LLM over the top of it? Um, in fact, the last um, the last uh, guys that I had on the show, Zero Systems, they were all about private in-house. So it's almost like they're, they're complementary to you guys for a certain way, which is quite interesting. Um, should get you guys talking. But yeah, basically mm -hmm. they, they sit on top and they offer a private way to actually run an LLM model on a set of data. 
Whereas mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of coming from the opposite, aren't you? You're bringing the data to something that can run on top of it and create the model, create the LLM. Yeah, that, that, that's a good analogy. So I, I wouldn't just say uh, aggregate the data because uh, ag- aggregation uh, kind of refers to the problem of data silos, which mm-hmm. may not be the case when in, 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 in what we were just talking about. In, in that case, uh, data might still be in, in all in one location, but what people are really getting is the flexibility to move computation away from the data. So in, in, in this case, uh, you may move uh, to the cheapest cloud, you may move to where you have GPU capacity. Uh, and uh, for, uh, for, for the LLM pipeline that you mentioned, it, it just may mean that you may have your pipeline uh, spread across uh, different locations in the world. So it, it may make sense for organization to have inference in different regions but your training data is, is is in a completely different location and you might have the split between your online cloud and your offline cloud for training. So these are all 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 different scenarios which are, are naturally split uh, across across regions in many cases. Okay, yeah, I get that. Excellent. So and in that same sort of notion, we talk about, you know, we've talked about heterogeneous data access layers and whatnot, but how do we deal with it with egress? Because egress is such a big topic of contention at the moment with the public cloud. It's one of the biggest bugbears, right? Where it costs almost nothing to put, well, it should cost nothing to put the data in, but as soon as you've got to pull that data out in, in whatever way, you know, those public clouds that are going to charge you for everything that you pull out. And it's usually quite an exorbitant fee. It's usually a hidden fee. Well, it's not, it's not hidden, but it's always mm-hmm. a shock still to people because I think mm-hmm. companies still haven't organizations haven't wrapped their head around the fact that it's my data. Why can't I get it out for free? It's like, it's they're almost holding it ransom. In fact, that's an analogy that I've heard on this show from someone. It's just like these, these public clouds almost hold your data to ransom because it costs you to bring it out, which is an interesting mm-hmm. analogy. So what do you think about that? And how does Alexio solve that particular issue? Yeah, I, I think that the cloud providers are always incentivized to move uh, the organization's data uh, in into their storage because it naturally drives consumption of all different kinds of services in, in the specific cloud, like you mentioned. Uh, we uh, we uh, and and egress uh, has has been a topic of conversation for for some time now, uh, especially once organizations were. Uh, operating in heavily in a hybrid cloud environment. Where we come in, uh, in into that situation is, uh, let's say you have your data uh, moved to cloud A, but uh, uh, like I was saying that the initial set of scenarios that we came across was you want to access the, the data from on-premises uh, or you want to access it from, from a different region as we were talking about in the scenario of uh, your organization might have gone through acquisition. So, so where we began with with analytical processing, uh, we, like I mentioned, we we act as a, a cache between your compute and your data, no matter if it's coming across different regions. So to avoid egress fees, one of the common methods that was employed before was actually to set up uh, set up a copy job. Uh, so initial solutions would be as simple as. Uh, Hadoop the CP copy from region A to region B and then access in region B. 
because okay. people knew that egress is going to be a challenge. So directly accessing from region B uh, uh, data which resides in region A wasn't feasible because of egress. So, so we eliminate this manual hacky worker workaround by providing direct access in region B uh, and, and and caching caching on demand uh, and the access pattern for different analytical workloads and also module training uh, is, is pretty high. So we we see that our cache hit ratio uh, is around uh, used to be around at least 80, 85 uh, percent okay. for typical SQL workloads and for yep. model training it's even higher because wow. the same same set set of data is accessed multiple times. Uh, so yes. in model okay. training, for example, different epochs, I would read the same training data again and again. And we've seen at, as high as 99% cache hit ratios uh, with, with the Luxio. So, so yeah, right. th that's one of the ways we uh, we eliminate egress fees. So go, going back to that the manual analogy or example that you used, so you've got Hadoop copy to Hadoop A to B. D don't they have egress costs in that copy job as it is? Or... Are you saying because it's a one-time copy, you're only you're only dealing with one set of egress charge from A to B, and that's kind of been accepted? Whereas what your what Alexio does is even stop that one-time egress charge, or it definitely stops the the tooling and like you talked in the model data, LLM data, you're accessing the same the same model data all the time, right? So mm -hmm. you're going to have repeated costs for that for that data going from B to A or A to B. So is, is that really what it's stopping? It's stopping that multiple access issue as opposed to that that single copy that you talked about to start with? Yeah, so, so in, in, in the single copy world, uh, the egress fees, it, that, that's only the hit is taken only once uh, mm -hmm. when you copy manually. But the problem with that approach is you need to identify what to copy. Uh, and yeah. which, itself, okay. which itself is a problem. What we've seen with most of our customers is that uh, anywhere between one to five percent of the total data is what's being accessed ninety nine percent of the time. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so identifying that uh, was a, a big problem, and that's why I said this is a fairly data engineering heavy exercise to identify things first and and then copy, uh, and and that's also what we uh, we eliminate. So, not only do we provide the simplicity in which you 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 could do the same job with one data engineer instead of four uh, because uh, you just need to point uh, uh, compute to data and Aluxio will go get it for you uh, and and then for repeated accesses uh, the, what happens is you don't end up moving more than you need to uh, yeah 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 and that makes, makes total sense now yeah and I think that clarifies it for anyone listening and trying to wrap their head around it, it, that explanation is perfect in terms of the value prop for it so yep I, I get that it's really awesome from that point of view and it completely makes sense and the, the value is there because at the end of the day you know containing cloud costs is a, is a business imperative these days right especially when we're talking about data at huge levels right like the amount of data is always growing the amount of data that we want to analyze is getting bigger and bigger so we want to be able to optimize, you know, the path from A to B as much as possible. So if we can do that at speed as well, that's an added benefit. Yeah, definitely. So we, we do work with some of the largest organizations in the world uh, on our, uh, we have collaborations with, with Meta, Uber, uh, and wow. many, many large names on the 
the enterprise uh, side as well. Uh, so, so like you said, the, 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 the amount of data that we're talking about is, is no small number. We, we're, we're often talking about hundreds of petabytes. Uh, yeah. Actually, that, that reminds me, when I was in grad school, we were designing storage systems uh, as part of uh, Carnegie Mellon's Parallel Data Lab with petascale storage in mind. So the big thing then used to be, let's design uh, a storage system which can store one petabyte of, of, of data. And now yeah. we are talking hundreds of petabytes, if, if not more, at the largest it's organization. It's crazy how, it's, how that's moved on, right? And yeah, and I, I don't think it's any surprise that you're, like, you know, the names that you mentioned, Meta Ubers and whatnot, but if you've come from that Berkeley lab, where you've talking about Mesosphere, talking about what is was Databricks today. I don't think it's very surprising that you know potentially people haven't heard of you guys so much in certain in certain areas of IT, but they should understand that the pedigree of where you come from means that you're doing some pretty serious work, right? Yep, yep, definitely. Uh, we're really proud of uh, what we built as a company here at Luxio. It's it's been it's been a good great journey, and we we're, we're only. Uh, I think we're at the cusp of uh, something really big and hopefully everyone has heard of us very soon. Yeah. Hey, and just talk about the open source side of, of the equation because I think that's important to understand how that fits in with Alexio. Yeah, so so open source has been a core part of our strategy from, from day one. Uh, open source gives us uh, a lot of different different uh, things. The first, uh, the first is uh, open source if you look at the community these days uh, and where the innovation is happening, the innovation is uh, definitely all, all uh, is is in open source. So it's very hard for a proprietary technology to keep up with uh, advancements uh, in in this complex ecosystem that we're all yeah. all part of. So so that's why we leverage our open source to have close collaborations with uh, industry, the big tech leaders. So uh, we, we talked about uh, the Ubers and the Metas of the world, and and that's one of the 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 use of open source for us, in which we are able to really push advancements in technology, uh, really cutting edge technology uh, across the entire globe uh, by these these collaborations. Without these open source collaborations, we would not be in a position to to do that. Uh, in addition to that, open source also gives us a, a testing ground uh, for for our, our, our technology. The more widespread the adoption of the technology is, uh, we are really able uh, to make sure that we have something which can uh, be used for uh, business critical uh, applications in, in which going down even for let's say 15 minutes in the year is, is not an acceptable scenario. So we need to be uh, battle tested. And the only way we really get battle tested is by leveraging open source and making sure we are adopted uh, across a variety of different scenarios. Uh, That's been an interesting topic of conversation. I think I've come across this year in a number of different formats, whether it be hearing Mark Zuckerberg talk about AI and how, you know, the, the, the pull and throw of do you open source AI, do you have a closed source? To a certain extent, the same argument is is held for you guys, right? And when what you just articulated and the fact that if you've got it open, then you've got more eyes on it. And if you've got more eyes on it, you've got more opportunity to to weed out the potential issues, the bugs, um, you know, at scale and at human quick scale, right? You're, you're using the the totality of the open source community 
as a as an as an AI as such as well to, to be, be able to work and actually work on the code and, and get it to a point where you can trust it for those tier one critical applications, which is so important. So it's funny how we've we've I think we've this talk this year that's definitely shifted towards that open source mentality as a as a good thing as opposed to what it was seen maybe 10 years ago where it was almost touted as a bit of a, a way to get a science experiment out and you shouldn't really trust the open source community because it's a bit slack and it's a bit open for that particular reason, right? Because it isn't controlled. So that is quite interesting, but it fits with the narrative that I think has been you know, pushed this year quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. So open source is, is uh, definitely serious business. And I think it's very hard to survive uh, in the industry that we are, uh, we are in uh, without being an active part of the open source community and open yeah. platforms. Uh, yeah, without open open platforms, I, I definitely feel it, it, it's very hard uh, to to really push the advancement in technology that we all all love and care about. Yeah, and so obviously from your from the business model you guys are having, you've, you've the way that you deal with the open source componentry is that you've probably got some enterprise support and and whatnot worked into the product as well. Is is that how you leverage the open source, but obviously you know keep the business going at the same time? Yeah, yeah, we we, we do have uh, we do have uh, enterprise uh, differentiation uh, services as well, uh, functionality differentiation and services uh, that we provide. Uh, on top of the open source project. And then that's how, that's the core of, of our business as well. So uh, awesome. open source, what we provide, the support that we provide on the open source side, uh, it's it's limited to some extent. Uh, and, and what uh, that's where uh, for folks who need uh, the skill set uh, to manage their clusters, they, we really uh, push them towards enterprise. Awesome. And hey, just to finish off, Alexio, as, as an innovative company, right? And obviously ambitious where you've come from quite ambitious the co-founders ambitious you know what's what's your future plans like what are the upcoming features or enhancements um in the pipeline for alexio so uh we we as a company we want uh to be the the entry point for data for all data-driven applications that's that's a big statement uh so we started off in in analytics and we uh, are, are going at, uh, we have made extremely good progress on the machine learning front. Uh, we've seen uh, us being used for that. Uh, beyond this, we, we are only reaching out uh, to provide more services and more uh, SaaS services built around the core product itself, cool. which makes it, makes it easy for people to use uh, the cool technologies that we have. Excellent. Well, look, I'm looking forward to seeing what Alexio does, you know, in the future. I think for those that don't know about Alexio, it's a really interesting one to go and take a look at. You can go to the website. I'll link to the show notes, um, all of, you know, the open sources, the getting started guides. There's a whole heap of great documentation on the website. So, you know, thanks a lot for the for the great conversation. I think it was a really interesting angle that um, complemented what I've talked about in this episode almost in the inverse the other side of it which is the data management so thanks a lot for that so just as a final reminder you can find myself at anthony spateri or at gtwgt podcast or at gtwgt.com and just as a final reminder once again if you aren't subscribed or are new to the show go to the web thank you to audits thank you to alexio and we will see you next time on great things with great tech